I am fired up to be with you this morning. How are you guys doing? Awesome. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving, 4th of July weekend. 4th of July weekend. It was a long 4th of July weekend for me. Okay, I'm glad to be here with you this morning. This past couple weeks, Pastor Tim has been walking us through family matters, right? Family matters, and so we've been talking about family matters. Pastor Tim has shown us what it means to be a man of God, what it means to be a woman of God, and what it means to have a, a marriage of God, and to have some parenting of God. And all these are different types of relationships. And in all our relationships, whether it be our parenting, whether it be our, our marriage, or whether it be just our neighbors or impact group, there's a certain DNA that must be present in all our relationships. Every relationship must be a relationship of God. And so today we're talking about relationships of God. What do I mean when I say relationships of God? I mean relationships that glorify God. Relationships that honor God. Relationships that give Him the praise and glory in them. Right? Well, how do we do that? We do that by making our worship, taking our worship into our relationships. We take our, our worship into our relationships. So today it really doesn't matter if you're married, whether you're single, whether you have a kid, whether you're a child, whether you're a parent, or whether you're just anyone. This message is for you. If you know somebody, then you are need to hear what I have to say today, what God has to say for you today, okay? Because we're looking at relationships of God. So open up with me in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand, we'll get one to you. Or raise your hand, we'll get a Bible to you. As we turn to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 32. We're looking at five essentials, five essentials to worship God in your relationships with others. Five essentials to worship God and our relationship with others. And as I was preparing this message, as I was looking over Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 32, all my time in seminary, all the, all the resources I, 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 I dug and I learned, the Greek, the Hebrew, the theology, the church history, all that stuff really didn't help me out too much. You see, what we're going to look at today isn't very theologically hard. It's nothing theologically, wow, right? Things like tell the truth is theologically clear and simple. Things like forgive others. Things like share. Theologically, we get that. But it's practically hard. It's hard to live those things out in our life. It's hard. And the only way we're going to do that is to make these things about our worship. It's to make it about our worship. It's to make it about God and not about us. To make it about God and not about us. We're going to do this only if we look to Christ and follow Him. It's got to be about Jesus. We've got to take the vertical and go horizontal with me. We start vertical. Everyone say vertical. And then we go horizontal, right? Then we go horizontal. Because it's not about you and me, it's about God. So as we look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25, I want to set up the context. Ephesians chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 3, Paul has just been declaring the awesomeness of our God. The awesomeness of how God, our God, saved us. His grace, His mercy. His reconciliation, how we were dead in our sins and how He made us alive in Jesus Christ. How He's poured out our blessings, how He's given us the Holy Spirit, how He's promised us eternal riches in Christ. How awesome God is, Paul says. And look how awesome what He's done for us, what He's he's done for us. He's died for us. He's given us new life. And Paul says, therefore, in chapter 4, verse 1, because of who God is and because of what He's done, he says, therefore, worship God. 
live in a, in a, in a manner worthy of your calling. So chapter 4 starts to say, worship God in your life. And then by the time we get to verse 25 there, it's worship God because of who He is, because of what He's done. Worship God in your relationships, at the ground level, in your comings and your goings. Worship God in your relationships. So if we're to worship God in our relationships, it's essential, point one, it's essential to be honest, to be united. It's essential to be honest, to be united. Look at verse 25. Therefore, having put away all falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. We need to be honest. We need to be honest. See, honesty is what causes our relationships to flourish. It's the air that lets it breathe, right? Without honesty, we will suffocate our relationships. And so if we're going to be honest, we've got to lay aside all falsehood. Verse 25, put away all falsehood. What does that mean? It means we're done with lying. We're done telling lies. We're done telling things that are contrary to fact. We're done making stuff up. We're done distorting the truth. It also means we're done telling lies. It also means we're done being something we're not. It means we're done being unreal and we start being real. We start admitting where we're weak. We start admitting our sins. We start being real with God and we start being real with other people. We start being real with our spouse. We start being real with our impact groups. We start being real with our children. You know, they asked a a group of men and 75% of men admitted to struggling with lust. 75% of men admitted to struggling with lust. The other 25% are a bunch of liars. See, they need to be real. Admit their struggles. Admit their weakness. Admit they're something they're they're not, they're, they're, they're putting out a false image of who they are. We need to be done with lying. Done with being something you're not. It also means you've got to be done with manipulation. And when I say the words manipulation, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? And don't say your mother-in-law. You see, manipulation is trying to move someone with something other than truth. It's trying to move them with guilt. It's trying to move them with fear. It's moving them with something other than truth. Some type of emotion that I feel obligated to now, not based off of truth, but based off of some type of emotional obligation. So my wife, we usually sit maybe three or four rows back. My wife said, so do I have to sit down in front uh, when, I, when you preach, Steve? I kind of don't like sitting way up in front. I looked at my wife and I said, sweetheart, you know, all the other pastor's wives, when they preach, they sit in the front. Rather than telling my wife, I would like you to sit up in the front. Rather than tell my wife, I, I need your support. I try to manipulate her with something other than truth. Now she did sit in the, in the front and she's gracious for that. And I, 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 I thank her for that. But manipulation... We're done with manipulation. We're done lying. We're done with being something we're not. And it also means we're done with deception. Deception is the half-truth. I don't tell you the whole story. I hold it back. So we all know it. We'll admit it. i got to be done with the Dairy Queen, right? I've been there way too often. I need to stop going. Me and my wife have talked about that. No more Dairy Queen for Steve. I got that. Okay. So the other day, me and my kids, my beautiful kids, Hannah, Joshua, and Emily, we said, guys, let's go spend the day with Daddy. So we hit the Walmart, went to Walmart, spent some time in the toy section, messed it all up. And then we went to the park. And then we went to Dairy Queen. And then we went back to Dairy Queen. Okay? And then we went home. And my wife said, so what you guys do today? Oh, Jenny, was a great day. Oh, we went to, the, we went to Walmart. Uh, we went to the park. And it was a great day. See, I didn't tell her the whole truth. I didn't tell her 
everything. And that's what deception is, holding it back. So we need to be done with lying, done with being something you're not, done with manipulation, done with deception, right? We need to start speaking the truth. Start communicating what is real, what is authentic, what is accurate, right? What is true. Start speaking the truth. And we need to do it every time. Every time. No matter the cost. No matter the hurt. We speak the truth every time, all the time. And you say, but Steve, is there ever, is there ever a time that you can think of where I can maybe tell a white lie? Or I can maybe tell an untruth? And I say, you know, I got the perfect situation for you. I remember when I was in college. I was a poor college kid. And I had an A7 Ford Mustang, four-cylinder, 10 years older than it should have been. You know, it should have been put out of its misery a long time ago. And some days it would work fine, and some days it wouldn't work. Some days it'd start up, and it'd, and it'd hit 65, you know, after five minutes. And so, so, so some days it worked. And other days it wouldn't start up. Other days it would start up and pump, 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 and stop. I couldn't figure it out. So I took it to the mechanic. I said, mechanic, I got an issue with my car. And he looked at it. He said, okay, so here's what you do, he told me. Next time it's working well, next time it's working and operating just fine, what you need to do is sell it as fast as you can. There is never a time it's okay for us to lie. There is never a time where it's okay for us to distort the truth. We need to speak the truth at all times. Because the worshiper of God, as Psalm 15 says, the worshiper of God swears even to his own hurt. He tells the truth even if it's going to hurt him. He tells the truth even if it's going to cost him something. Because it's not about me and you. It's not about me being honest with you. It's about God. It's not about us. It's about God. So we need to speak the truth. And so when we're, when we're weak, we need to admit it. When we're in sin, we need to confess it. And when we see sin, we need to call it for what it is, sin. We need to be honest. Verse 25, we need to be honest because we're members of each other. Look at that, verse 25. And we are members of one another. I want you to touch the person next to you. Just grab the hand next to the person next to you. Just hold on to them, rub their shoulder. Don't touch them too much. We're in church, okay? You are members of one another. You are one. We are the living body of Jesus Christ. We are one. You are one body. And when you lie to the person next to you, you're lying to yourself in a sense. You're hurting yourself. You're hurting that relationship. And you think of the eye. The eye will not lie to the foot. If I'm walking down the street and I see a big old nail sticking up in the ground, my eye is not going to tell my foot, you're fine. Right? So we shouldn't be lying to one another because we are members of one another. And honesty breeds unity. Honesty breeds intimacy. And so we need to speak the truth. I, I think of those old spy movies. You guys know the spy movies where the wife wakes up next to her husband who's, who says he's a computer salesman. And but she knows something's different with this guy. And she starts to wonder, is my husband who's a computer salesman, is he a secret agent? Is he a spy? Or in my wife's case, is my husband who says he's a pastor, is he a secret agent? Because I look at the things he does. Well, I'm not a secret agent. But in those movies, they come to realize what? My husband has been lying to me all these years. He's not a computer salesman. He works for the CIA as a secret agent man. And how's that wife feel? She feels betrayed. She realizes in his dishonesty, there's been no intimacy all these years. In his dishonesty, there's been no unity. I've been lied to. And when we speak untruth, we hurt. You see, honesty is vital. It is vital for our relationships. Falsehood hurts. Falsehood harms. But truth, no matter how painful, will heal. Truth heals. Be honest. Truth helps. And God, God works in truth. God works in honesty. I mean, just imagine what your family can be like 
if you started being real with them. Just imagine what your marriage would be like if you started speaking the truth and started being honest. Imagine what God could do in your impact group if you started being real with one another, if you started calling sin, sin, if you started owning your own sin and you started admitting your own weakness, right? Imagine what God can do. He can do great things through honesty, through truth, because God uses truth. He uses honesty to transform us, to change us, to move us, and to grow us. So I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you in just one area with respect to being honest. What sin do you need to come clean on? What sin do you need to start being honest with to your spouse? What sin do you need to start being honest with to your impact group? Where do you need to come clean on? Let's make it about our worship and let's come clean, right? Why? Because God is a God of truth. God's glory is revealed in truth. Honesty is not about you and me. It's about God. It's about our worship. God works in truth. So let us worship Him. Let us worship Him and let us live that worship out as we're being honest with one another. If we're going to have worship, if we're going to have worship in our relationships, if we're going to worship God in our relationships, we're going to have to be honest with one another. Second, we're also going to have to address it to protect it. We're going to have to address it to protect it. What do I mean by that? I mean we've got to quickly address sin and reconcile with others to protect ourselves and to safeguard the relationships from harm. Look at verse 26. It says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. God there is commanding us to be angry. And I know what all the men are saying. Sweet, I'm there. Right? I'm not talking about that type of anger. God is commanding us to a specific, special type of anger. It's called righteous anger. God is saying, Be righteously angry. Be righteously angry and do not sin. So what is righteous anger. How can I know if I'm dealing with righteous anger? What does that look like? Well, here's what righteous anger is. It's when God is the one who's been offended. God is the one who's been sinned against. God is the one whose glory has been trampled on. And then that moves you to action. You see, righteous anger, because God is the one who's been offended, will move you to righteous action. It's going to move me to godly action. I'm going to see a sin committed against God, and it's going to move me to, to what, Steve? Well, it's going to move me to forgive. It's going to move me to pray. It's going to move me to protect. It's going to move me to correct, to rebuke. And most of all, the one thing godly anger always moves us to is reconciliation reconciliation. That's what godly anger moves us to. That's the end result. When God has been offended, it moves us and it moves God to reconciliation. You see, God was angry with you. God was very angry with you with your sin. You sinned against him. You offended him. And so he was righteously angry. And then he moved. And what did he do? He sent his son down to die for you so that you may be reconciled to him. God was angry and he was moved to reconcile. He was moved to reconciliation. So godly anger must move us to reconciliation. But he says in verse 26, don't sin. Be angry and don't sin. That means don't go about responding in an ungodly way. So you're sitting there witnessing, right? You're doing the godly thing and and somebody comes up to you uh, and hits you in the face and you didn't do anything wrong. This guy sinned against you. Don't respond in an ungodly way. Don't respond by lashing out. When, when your family members or someone says something to you and sins against God, don't respond in an ungodly way. Don't strike back. Don't shout. Don't get bitter. Don't do that. You may be in the right. 
But now don't go and sin. Don't be in the right and jump into sin. I can just picture, uh, illustrate this with when I was a police officer. I was on patrol, driving around for bad guys. And I saw uh, a known drug dealer, a known gang member. He was sitting up. We knew he sells drugs. We have a right to stop him. And me and my partner, we go, we stop him. We, we, we pat him down. We're looking for him. We're talking for him. And we know this guy's, this guy's up to no good. And we know we got a right to stop him. We're totally in the right where we're at, but we can't find anything to arrest him on. And so we were in the right, but my partner got angry. We were in the right, and, but then he sinned. He took a knife and he put it in the guy's tires of his bike. See, he was in the right. Now he was totally in the wrong. Totally in the wrong, and he sinned. Well, then I was honest, and he's now no longer a police officer. So we need not to be sinning in our anger. We may be in the right, but we don't want to sin in our anger. So how do we know if you're sinning in your anger? Okay, Steve, I get it. I could be in the right. Don't respond in sin. Don't respond in, uh, in a sinful way. Well, what does it look like? How do I know if I'm sinning while I'm angry? Well, the first thing is you're focusing on yourself. If you're focusing, if it's all about you, you're sinning. If it's all about you and not God's glory, if it's all about you, your pain, your hurt, your discomfort, it's what, I, what he didn't do for me or what she did to me. If it's all about you, you're sinning, Right? It's another way we know we're sinning in anger. Well, if I want payback, I want payback instead of reconciliation, right? I want vengeance instead of reconciliation. I want them to know my hurt. I want them to know my pain. I want them to know my struggles. I want them to know what they did to me. Well, you're sinning in your anger. There's a third way you know you're sinning in your anger. If you're not addressing it, if you're not being moved to that godly action, if you're not being moved to reconciliation. Verse 26 says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. If you're not moving towards reconciliation, you are sinning. If you're not moving towards reconciliation, you are sinning. You see, if there's sin, if you see it, if there's an issue, if there's anger, if there's a problem, we need to address it. We need to address it. Well, how do I address it? How do I address sin? How do I address the sin in my family? Okay, my kid's sinning. How do I address it? My spouse is sinning. How do I address it? I got my buddy in my impact group and he's walking down a path of sin. How do I address it? Well, here's how you address it. First and foremost, admit your own sin. I'm going to go up to somebody. I'm going to address their own sin. Before I do that, I need to admit my own sin. And, and, And any issue, when there's an issue between, usually when there's two people there, it usually takes two to tango. Now, granted, every now and then, there's that one guy who likes to dance in the middle of the playground, right? That's me. I, I like to dance like a fool, right? So every now and then, there's a sin that you, you didn't contribute to, right? There's an issue you didn't contribute to. But most times, you have some part to play. So admit your own sin. And then go and address their sin. Say, brother, I've sinned against you. I'm sorry. It was wrong. I confess it. I'm done with that. And brother, I just want to show you, look right here. See, you're sinning against me. You've sinned against God. What you're doing here is wrong. What you're doing to your family is not right. Whatever it is, you address it. And then third, you affirm your love. You affirm your love for one another. Say, I love you. You love me. Right? And then fourth, we agree in prayer. And fifth, you bury the issue. You bury it and you forgive. Right? And, and if I have a dead body and I dig up a hole and I put a dead body and six weeks later and I dig it up, that thing's going to stink real bad, right? Right? So if you forgive and you bury it, keep it buried. Don't be bringing it up because it's going to be worse than it was before. Keep it buried. Bury it. It's over. So we need to address our sin. And verse 27 tells us that there's a danger. There's a danger in not dealing with anger. There's a danger in not being reconciled. It says, and give no opportunity to the devil. See, a failure to forgive, 
A failure to forgive is to give the devil an opportunity to attack you. It's giving him an opportunity to attack your family, your marriage, your impact group, your relationships. You're putting a big bowseye in your chest. I just picture a deer. There's Bambi with his mom, right? And there's Bambi's mom. What's Bambi's mom's name? Bambi's mom. Okay, so Bambi's mom picks up a bullet or an arrow and walks over to the hunter and says, Oh, by the way, here you go. And backs up just a little bit, not too far, but not too close, so you can get a good shot. That's what we do when we don't address sin. That's what we do when we don't address issues in our relationship. We give the devil an opportunity to attack and harm us. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to give the devil an opportunity to destroy our marriages, our families, our impact groups, ourselves, right? So here's my challenge for you. My challenge is, who do you need to go and reconcile with today? Who do you need to go admit your own sin with, address their sin, affirm each other's love, agree in prayer, and bury it? Who? Who do you need to do? And you need to do it. That's my challenge for you. You see, let the day of anger, let the day of anger be the day of reconciliation. Our gospel is a gospel of reconciliation. Our God is a God of reconciliation. And when you're sinned against, when you're hurt, when someone stabs a knife in your heart, there's an opportunity there. There's an opportunity for you to live out the gospel. There's an opportunity for you to worship the God of reconciliation. As you don't make it about you and them, but you make it about God and you worship God by being reconciled with others. So if we're going to have God on in relationships, if we're going to worship God in our relationships, we need to be honest, we need to be reconciled. And thirdly, we need to work to share. We need to work to share. Look at verse 28. Verse 28. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. God calls us, first and foremost, to stop stealing. Stop stealing and start working. Start working and then start sharing. So here's my question for you. What's the opposite of stealing? Paying for it? No, not in God's standards. The God's standards, the opposite of stealing is sharing. See, God didn't bless you with a job. If you're fortunate enough to have a job, God didn't bless you with that job so you can self-indulge, so you can go out and buy a bigger TV, so you can buy a, a faster car. No, he blessed you so you can share with others. And I love the fact that God uses the word share. He doesn't use the word hoard, and he doesn't use the word give. And what God is doing here, he's, he's protecting us from two extremes. One extreme is what? The easy one. All for me, right? God says, don't do that. And what God is not commanding us to say is give it all away either. He's not saying, okay, I got, I got $100 in my bank account. Here's $100 for everyone else. He's not saying do that either. He says share, share. And the best way I can illustrate this is a couple weeks ago, we were invited over to somebody's house and they made meatloaf. And boy, do I like meatloaf, okay? And the hostess, so me and my wife and, and the hostess and her husband, we're there, we're having meatloaf. She puts the meatloaf on the table and she cuts it up. Here's what she doesn't do. She doesn't say, oh, this meat looks, meatloaf looks so good, all for me. She didn't do that. And here's what she didn't do. She didn't say, this meatloaf looks so good, I'm so spiritual, everyone else have it, I won't have any. No, she didn't do that either. What does she do? She shared. She goes, some for you, some for me, some for you, some for me, and we were all satisfied. Right? And that's what we're called to do, It's to share. To share. You see, Jesus Christ shared his righteousness with you. Jesus Christ shared his inheritance with you. 
So we need to worship our God and share. Me sharing with you and you sharing with me is not about you and me. It's about God. It's about our worship. I'm going to worship my God as I share with others. And if we're going to have relationships that worship God, we need to share. We need to be honest and we need to reconcile. And thirdly, if we're going to have relationships that worship God, we need to speak to build up. We need to speak to build up. Look at verse 29. Every word we speak, every word that comes out of our mouth must be to build others up. Verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such is good for building up as fits the occasion so that it may give grace to those who hear. Every word that comes out of our mouth needs to be building others up. That means we're going to not talk corrupting talk. We are not going to corrupt No corrupting talk is going to come out of our mouth. What is corrupting talk? Corrupting talk is talk that tears down. It's talk that makes rotten. It's talk that destroys and tears away. Right? We need to understand something here, folks. God is at work. God is at work in you. God is at work in your family. God is at work in your impact group. God is at work in this church. God is at work and he is working to build us up, to build up the body of Jesus Christ. He is building up each and every one of us. That's his purpose. What's your purpose? Do you tear down people with your words? Are you working against the purposes of God? God wants to build up. How do you use your words for? Do you use your words to hurt, to tear down, or do you use your words to build up? We want to be working alongside God for his purposes. You know, we uh, have some kids, three kids, three beautiful kids. We'll put a picture up there. That's, that's Emily, Joshua, and Hannah. And they are such a blessing and joy to me. And I, I have a, a bookcase, and I put my books on the bookcase, and the little guy in the middle there, the little rug rat there, good-looking boy, isn't he? Real good-looking guy. Takes after his dad. Okay. So I, I put up my bookshelves, right? I'm trying to make my bookshelf look real nice. That's my purpose. I'm building this bookshelf. And Joshua comes in right behind me, and he starts pulling down the bookshelves, pulling down the books, As I put up a book up, he takes it down. I put a book up, he takes it down. He's working against the purposes of his dad. I go home and I see Dora the Explorer and Mickey Mouse and and Fido and whatever toy the kids are playing with, right? So I start picking them up, put them in the toy chest, pick them up, put there's there's you know, there's Donald, put them in there. There's you know, there's little mermaid, she goes in there, and as soon as I put them in the toy chest, where's Emily and Hannah? They come in. Oh, we like this one. Oh, we like that one too. Oh, and they're working against dad. I'm trying to clean up the house and they're, they're decorating it with toys. See, it's okay because they're kids. They're childs. They're children. We get that. But we don't want to be childish. We don't want to be childish. We don't want to be infants. We want to be mature. We want to work with God. We want to build others up. And we do that by speaking only what builds up. Verse 29, right? But only such is good for building up. God has given us words for a purpose. Words for a purpose, and that purpose is to build others up. How do I build other people up? There's three ways. The three ways we do that. It's right out of 1 Thessalonians. It's we admonish. So if there's a sin issue in someone's life, I'm going to build them up by addressing the sin. I'm going to admonish them. Hey, what you're doing there is not right. That's sin, brother. Let's not do that. We need to correct that. I'm going to admonish them. Two, I'm going to encourage them. If they're struggling, if they're downtrodden, if they're just, just in, a, in a trial, I'm going to encourage them. Hey, God, God, God's in control of this. God's the God of all comfort. 
God loves you. There is nothing outside the control of God. He's working His purposes in your life. I'm going to encourage them. And the third way I'm going to build people up is I'm going to help them. When they're struggling in sin, you say, Steve, I got, I got this sin and it weighs me down. I don't know what to do with it. Well, you know what? God's Word helps us with that. Let's, here's some real practical ways that God's Word helps us overcome that sin. I'm going to admonish. I'm going to encourage. And I'm going to help. I'm going to build up. That's how we build up. And I, I'm going to speak words with a purpose. I'm also going to speak words that are fitting for the occasion. Fitting for the occasion. What does that mean? Well, it means I'm going to speak those words at the right time. I'm not going to come to somebody, they just get the word that, that, they're, that they just lost their job. And they put the phone down. I say, hey, by the way, I've been meaning to talk to you about your gossip issue. No, wrong time. I want to speak the words at the right time. I want to speak the words in a right way, with the right tone, with the right attitude. And thirdly, I want to speak the words that are addressing the right need. The right need. And, and by the way, we all have the same need. And it's just so we're, we're, we're clear on what that need is. You and I, me and you, have only two needs in our walk with Christ. It's to love Jesus more and to be more like Him. And every word that I speak needs to either cause you to love our King more or two, to become more like our King. That's the need we need to speak to. And we need to understand that we're going to be accountable for every word. Look at that. Speak only, verse 29, but only such as is good. Every word that comes out of our mouth, we're going to be accountable. So I became a police officer in the interview They asked me, Stephen, why would you like to become a police officer? Oh, to better society and help my community, right? That's not why I became a police officer. I can't believe I was carrying a gun, right? So I got my gun, I put it in there, I got real... Yeah, it wasn't very uh, soon that I realized every bullet that came out of my gun, I was accountable for. Every bullet that came out of my gun, I was going to have to give an account for. I could be arrested, I could be charged, I can lose my life, I can lose my job. I was accountable for everything that came out of that gun. And we are accountable for every word that comes out of our mouth. So only let the words that come out that will give grace to those who hear. Grace, right? We want to speak words that give grace. And there is no grace without truth. And there is no truth without grace. So we're going to speak words that lift up, that build up. And so I have a hammer here just to illustrate this. I am told this is a framing hammer. I don't know what a framing hammer is, but I'm also told they can build a dollhouse. And I do know a thing or two about dollhouses. The most important thing about a dollhouse I know is my daughter loves them. So I'm going to build a dollhouse for my kid. This is the purpose of this framing hammer is to build the dollhouse. So I'm going to build that dollhouse up, put the roof on, the, the, the sides and the doors and all that stuff. And my daughter's going to be like, Dad, that's awesome. She's going to be lifted up. She's going to be encouraged. I get this dollhouse. I'm going to play for, you know. And so I can do that, the purpose of the hammer. Now I could also take this hammer and crush that dollhouse, destroy it put, it, put a hole in the side, put a hole in the roof. But that's not what this purpose of the hammer is. And God has given us words to build up, not to destroy. So what do you use your words for? You need to use your words to build up, to edify. Here's, here's some, some five helps, five practical ways to build up. Attack the problem, not the person. When you speak words, attack the problem, not the person. What do I mean by that? You know, Jimmy, you, you just told a lie. Jimmy, we're going to attack the problem here. This is a lie. See, see what you did yesterday was, was wrong, as opposed to, Jimmy, you're a liar. You're always lying. Oh, if you're talking, you're lying. That's attacking the problem, the person. We don't want to attack the person. We want to attack the problem. We also want to try to help, not hurt. Help, not hurt. It's, here's, here's a picture of hurting. 
you know, I know you're really unspiritual and you're really immature in this area, so let me help you. That's hurting somebody. That's putting an insult to the, to the encouragement. We don't want to do that. Here's help. Hey, brother, can I just encourage you? I love you. I struggle too. Let me encourage you. Let me help you. We want to help, not hurt. Try to provide solutions, not criticisms. Criticisms. I told you so. I told you that wasn't going to work. Why were you thinking? Did you, I mean, did you even think before you acted? What are you doing? That's criticism. Here's solutions. Okay. God provides now a way out. Let's address the sin, brother. Here's the solution. Let's confess it. Let's move forward. We've got to repent. Let's do things that God has done. God has laid out for us to make us right. Right? Provide solutions, not criticisms. Be gracious, not aversive. Be gracious in your speech, not aversive. And most of all, the most important thing you can do to edify, to build up with your words, is to speak God's truth not your opinion. Give them the word of God, not your opinion, not your thoughts. This is what we need to build others up. So we need to speak God's truth. We also need to realize that when we tear down, when we hurt people with our words, what we're doing is we're grieving the Holy Spirit. Verse 30, we don't want to speak as to do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you've been sealed. I'll just illustrate this. One time, me and my wife, a couple years ago, we were in a major tiff. Words coming back and forth. It was like the old west, right? And I realized someone's going to get hurt here. So I said, okay, babe, you know what? We just need to cool it. We're done. Done talking. Okay, this is really bad. Let's take some time. Okay. And I was walking out of the, the kitchen, and she said something under her breath. I don't think she meant for me to hear it, but I did. I was in the hallway, and I was like, oh, no, you didn't. I turned right back around, and I was walking, and I was loading my gun, right? Not my real gun, but like my, my words, Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Be careful there. I, so I'm thinking like, I'm going to say this and I'm going to say that. I'm going to ding her with that. I'm going to say this. And I'm like, oh yeah, I'm going to make her cry. I'm like, I'm going to get it. So I turned the corner and right when I turned the corner just to let her have it, I felt really convicted. I was on my way to go verbally hurt my wife. And it was like God said, why are you going to go sin against me? I died for you. I love you. I give you grace every day. Why are you going to sin against me. See, we need to realize when we hurt people with our words, what we're really doing is we're hurting God. We're sinning against God. It's not about you and me with my words. It's about God. It's about our worship. That's what we need to speak. We need to speak because of who God is, not because of what the person did next to me, but because of who God is. And so here's my challenge for you. What needs to change in the way you talk to your spouse? What needs to change in the way you talk to your kids? What needs to change in the way you talk to your impact group? Here's another challenge. What sin do you see that needs to be addressed? How can you admonish those around you? What sin can you address in their lives to encourage? What needs to get real? What needs to change? Where, who needs to be encouraged in your family? Go encourage them. And who needs help around you? Go help them with words of truth. We need to speak, or we need to, speak to build up. Why? Because it's not about you and me. It's about God. It's about what He's doing. God's at work here. God is building this up, and we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to partner with God and to glorify God as we come alongside of Him with His purposes and build others up with our words. It's time to take the vertical horizontal. Because we love God, because we worship God, let us go out and partner with Him and build others up. If we're going to have a relationships that worship God, if we're going to worship God in our relationships... It's essential that we're honest, that we reconcile, that we build, 
and that we share. And fifthly, if we're going to have worship, if, if our relationships are going to worship God, if we're going to worship God in our relationships, we need to be gracious to reflect. Be gracious to reflect. Be gracious with others to reflect the gracious character of God. Look at verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. If we're going to be gracious, we got to put away all ungraciousness. You got to put away bitterness. See, bitterness is an ungracious disposition towards somebody, right? It's a resentment, all right? And it's a weed. It's a weed that's going to kill the relationship. It's a weed that's going to strangle you. You got to put that away. And anger and wrath. I thought you said, Steve, Steve, I thought right there it just said anger is okay. Well, this is a different type of anger. This is man's anger. Man's anger does not accomplish the purposes of God. This is the anger that I'm angry because somebody did something to me that I didn't want. This is the anger that I'm not getting the thing I wanted this guy to do. I'm angry. It's not a righteous anger. It's an ungracious disposition towards somebody. And if we got that anger, boy, we're giving the devil a foothold. Okay, we got to put that away. And then abuse of speech, we got to put abuse of speech away. Right? It's the bulldozer that destroys. It's the bulldozer. All ungraciousness will harm our relationships. It'll wreak havoc on our marriages. It'll hurt our families. It'll blow up our impact groups. We got to put it away. See, ungraciousness, specifically poison, excuse me, bitterness and anger. Bitterness and anger is a poison to your worship. It kills your worship. It sucks the life out of your worship. As you're bitter and you hold on to that, you got nothing, to, you got no heart to give to God. You got no heart to worship. It's just, it's dead. And I know this because I've lived it in personal experience. I've lived with anger. I've lived with bitterness. And you got to put it away. You got to let it go. And you say, Steve, I can't. Steve, I can't get rid of the bitterness. You don't understand. You don't understand what my spouse has done to me. You don't understand what my parent has done to me. You don't know how bad my child has hurt me. I can't. I can't put it away. I know you can't. And God knows you can't. That's why he doesn't say, get rid of it. He says, let it be put away. Now, the NIV says get rid of, but the NIV is, a, is missing the passive. It's a, not a good translation. It's better to read it as the ESV and every other translation that I've read says, let it be put away. It's passive. It's saying, let God work in you. Let God move in you. Allow God to take the bitterness away from you. Allow God to heal that heart. Let him take it. Allow God to work. Allow God to move you to kindness, to tenderness, to compassion. It's let God do the work. And here's a first step in letting God do that work. The first step in letting God take away that bitterness and letting God take away that anger. It's in chapters 1 through 3. It's focus on who God is. Focus on the awesomeness of the graciousness of our awesome God and Savior. Focus on what He's done, how you were dead in your transgressions, how you were, you were dead in sin, you were by nature an object of wrath, but God in His grace made you alive in Jesus Christ. Focus on Him, worship on Him, and watch Him work. Put away all ungraciousness. We also gotta, if we're gonna be gracious, we gotta put away all ungraciousness, but if we're gonna be gracious, we also have to be forgiving. Look at verse 32. Be forgiving. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God has forgiven you. 
We have to be forgiven. We have to be forgiving. We have to forgive others. So what's that look like? Well, there's two types, two levels, two levels of forgiveness. The little things and the big things. The little things and the big things. The little things. Here's an example. So I like the M&M peanut butters. You guys know what I'm talking about? The peanut butter M&M ones? Well, they have those all around the office. And Pastor Mike, he likes them too. But the problem with Pastor Mike, Pastor Mike always comes in about five or ten minutes after I do. And by the time Pastor Mike's there, all the peanut butter M&Ms are gone. I don't know. They're just gone. I don't. So after I've ate them all, okay, Pastor Mike comes in and is like, dude, where are all the M&Ms? This is a little thing. Just lets it go. Not a big deal. Pastor Mike is living out 1 Peter 4.8. He lets love cover a multitude of sin on the little things. The little slide comment out of, your, out, of, out of your spouse's mouth. They say something. They're tired. Hey, just let it go. Your spouse leaves the underwear on the floor. Just let it go. Okay? Let it go. Love covers a multitude of sin. Everyone clench your fist for me. Clench it. Clench it tight. See how, see how small your fist is? This is a little thing. But you, is, are you guys starting to feel the pressure of that? Clench it tight. And the harder you hold on, the harder it hurts. But what you need to do is just let it go. On the little things, just let it go. Everyone open your hand. Just let it go. Little things. Love covers multitude of sin. But on the big things, big things we deal with it a little differently. On the big things, it's a little different. What's a big thing? Well, a big thing is something that's not a little thing. A big thing is something I can't let go. I can't let go. It's something that's so frequent. It goes all the, it's all the time. Or it's something that's huge. You know, this is, this is the big blowout. This is the time where the guy got in my face and he yelled and screamed. Or more likely, I got in your face and yelled and screamed, right? This is, this is the, this is the bank robbery. This is the affair. This is the constant insults. This is the, uh, the constant hurting. The constant sins or the huge sins that you can't let go. We address it a little differently. Here's what we do. We go to the person. Or they come to us. We address it. And in the addressing, they confess and they repent. They say, hey, look, what I did here was wrong. I confess, I repent, forgive me. And here's what we do then. Here's how we forgive. We, we, we release the debt. We release the debt. Total release of debt. Total reconciliation. Total restoration. The relationship is as it was before the sin. We're totally restored. It's buried. That sin is now buried in the ground. It's done. It's over. It's paid for. The person repented. The person confessed. Me and that person were on the same page. We love each other. Awesome. Right? And we don't bury, we don't bring it up because after six weeks you bury a dead body. How's it smell? Not horrible. So you don't bring it up. It's done. It's over. It's paid for. It's restored. Fully restored. What happens to see if they don't? They don't confess. They don't repent. They say, hey, you know, the other day, dude, you just like, you just let me have it. And that was sin. I think that was wrong. And they look at you and say, well, I said it. I say it again. Right? How do you respond then? A little differently. It's, it's total bitter, bitterness release. It's release of bitterness. Not release of debt. It's a release of bitterness. Your heart is the same. Your heart is the same as the first. The only difference is their heart. See, I want reconciliation. I'm going after restoring that relationship. I want to see them come, me and them come together as one again, but they're the one that's unwilling. They're the one that makes this situation different than the first. It's their heart, not mine. I'm going to deal with them in a very grace-based way. I'm going to love them. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to care for them. I'm going to go after them. The reason why it's different is because of them, not me. I love them. I care for them. I think the, uh, we had a video a couple weeks ago about a married couple, a husband and wife, 
illustrates this really well. How the husband, right, was seeking reconciliation with the wife and the wife wanted nothing to do with it. And the wife would turn her back to the husband as she, as he prayed for her, as he sought after her, as he sought to reconcile after her, right? That's a picture. That's a picture of what we're talking about here. Going after it. And, and in that video, after, after a while, what did the wife do? She turned back and she reconciled with her husband, right? Because that's what that level looks like. But you tell me, Steve, how can I forgive? How can I forgive when I've been hurt so bad? How can I forgive when, when the guy doesn't even deserve it? How can I forgive when that person doesn't even deserve my forgiveness? Well, because they don't. And that's what grace is. Grace is giving someone something they don't deserve. Just like God gave you grace. Just like God has forgiven you. See, you forgiving another has nothing to do about you and them. I forgive others. You forgive others because God has forgiven you. It's not about me and you. It's about God. I forgive to worship God. I worship God and so I forgive. It has nothing to do with you and me. It has to do with God. So here's my challenge for you. Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? Who in your life do you need to go after and reconcile with? Who? What's going to change in that relationship? Go after that person. Forgive them and be reconciled with them. And if you're struggling with this, look to Christ. Look to Jesus. Look to God who is gracious with you, who has forgiven you. Look at what He's done. Look how He's forgiven you. Let that move you to worship Him and then forgive others. And if we're going to worship God in our relationships, we have to be gracious. We have to be honest. We have to reconcile. We have to share and we have to build. See guys, relationships are not about you and me. Relationships are about God. They're about God. And we need to worship God. Ephesians chapter 1 through chapter 3. We need to worship God for who He is. That's duty number one, is worship God for who He is. Worship God for what He's done. He's the King of kings. He's my Savior. He's my King. He paid for me. He freed me. He gave me eternal life. I love Him and I worship Him. Now let that worship bleed. Let it bleed into the relationships that we have. Let it bleed into the relationships we have. Let's take the vertical and go horizontal with it. Relationships are not about you and me. Don't miss this. It's about God. And so we need to make it about our worship. And in every, 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 every area of our life, we need to lay it down and we need to worship Him. Every area, we need to come down, bow before Him, and worship God, even in, even in our relationships. Let's pray.